You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl, and welcome to episode 61 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob is stuck on babysitting duty somewhere, somewhere between Setauket, New York, and Patchogue, New York. So Bob will not be joining us today, but that's okay. We understand. Things happen. Today, we're coming to you from the booth at the Sage and Public Library in Holbrook, New York, and the Library of Prose is a bi-monthly podcast, so please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And please check us out on Twitter at, at the Library of Prose and on Facebook and on facebook.com slash libraryprose, and consider leaving a review or tell a friend or colleague, because word of mouth is how uh, people find out about us and help us grow. So today, joining us via Google Hangouts is Laura Lintz, Children's Librarian, and Jen Barth, the Assistant Director at the Henrietta Library in Henrietta, New York. So thanks for coming on. So we're going to speak with Laura and Jen about what branding in libraries looks like, how important branding is, and how it can help with initiatives for libraries such as fundraising. But first, let's get to know everybody. Tell us your background. And Jen, before becoming Assistant Director, what area did you work in? And Laura, how long have you been in a librarian? Um, well, before I was an assistant director at the Henrietta Library, I worked in, I was a teen librarian for almost 10 years um, at a, a different library in upstate near Rochester. Um, and I did everything a teen librarian does. I bought books, I did programs, I tried desperately to get teenagers to come to my programs. I actually had a bit of success. So it was super fun, and I love teenagers, so it, it was really, really rewarding. Laura here. <laughs> I graduated from library school in 2011. Uh, right after graduation, I got my first library job as a branch manager at a small branch library right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I didn't even know how to check out a book, and then I was running a library, and it was wonderful. I loved it. Um, I've spent the bulk of my career in children's, but I've worked in a number of libraries in a number of different roles, and I've been here at Henrietta as a children's librarian since 2015. So tell us about Henrietta Library. Where are you located? And for those that aren't familiar with upstate central New York, western New York, western New York, right? Sorry, I'm yeah. a downstater. We're all idiots down here. <laughs> you said it we did it no you can think it that's fine we're but you know it, for us anything north of westchester is upstate so and you don't it, this is a funny thing i learned when i went to nyla last year that people who live in western new york don't consider themselves upstaters is that true you're considered western new york people i mean i'm an upstater <laughs> me i've too. always yeah yeah I, I i think that is a slightly nuanced comparison yeah I grew up near Syracuse, and I've always just considered myself an upstater. Okay. So. <laughs> That's all right. So tell us about Henrietta, where you're located, you know, how many people do you serve, and what cool things you're doing there, and, you know, go ahead. It's time to brag. So Henrietta is um, near Rochester, which is the next biggest city before Buffalo, if you're yep. heading west out of the state. We serve about 43,000 people. It's a fairly diverse community. I've got some fun facts for you. It's fun fact time. Yes. <laughs> With Laura. 22,000 Henrietta residents have library cards, but this is the statistic that I think is most telling. 
12,000 of them have been used in the past year. So it's a ton of active library users. Um, 1,200 items are checked out from this library every day. And 2,100 people come to our events every month. We have a ton of events here at the library and a really supportive community, which has resulted in a brand new library. Yes. So that's probably the coolest thing that's happening here. Um, has it been a year ago, November? It was November, November 2017. Yep. Um, the community voted on a referendum to build a new library for Henrietta, and that referendum passed. By um, an overwhelming majority. That yes. is awesome. Yeah, so that is the coolest thing. We're probably three to four months out from our grand opening. Not quite sure when yet, but... So we have basically for the last year just been working on transitioning to, it's going to be double in size, one floor to two floors. So we've been working a lot on how do we continue providing the same service with pretty much the, the same, same staff, staff in a bigger space with probably more, more people coming yeah. in. So that's, yeah, that's where we are. That's really exciting. Yeah, we're excited. I've been through a few building expansions and, you know, the, the hardest part is that the fear of not knowing how it's going to go and how everything is going to work and the workflow and and all that oh, fun yeah. stuff. Because architects can do a great job drawing it, but once you actually sit in the space and you go, ooh, I thought, this, I thought that was going to fill that space up a little bit more, or ooh, there's not enough space there. We thought there was enough space there. So you guys are in for a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the looks, the looks on your faces. I wish I could show people the looks on your faces. It's hysterical. It's just been, it's been a lot, a lot of work because we've been doing all that stuff here, like trying to analyze our workflow and our work process, and like trying to like cut out the stuff we don't need anymore to make it like smooth and efficient, and looking at floor plans to figure out well how many cars are going to fit there, and um, do we need a shelf there, and you know all that good stuff. So hopefully, all, all of that planning will pay off. And we'll just hit the ground running and everything will be perfect. No matter what happens, we have tiny toilets in the children's room, bathrooms. So there's always that silver lining. No matter how bad it gets, we've got our tiny toilets. Yes. Well, that's pretty cool. Right? <laughs> so other than the topic we're going to talk about in our next segment, tell us about your passion. Because we love talking about passion in libraries. Because we always have people in libraries who are just, they sit there, they sit at the reference desk, they go home. But we also have people in our libraries that are extremely passionate to the point where everybody wants them to shut up. Tell me about what your passions are and what drives you to do what you do at Henrietta. It's a really open-ended question, so have fun with it. Well, I, I have a, a duo-fold passion. Is that a word? A, a, a bi-fold passion. Yes, that's it. So I have two passions in my life. Since uh, my daughter was born in 2014, I have been really passionate about helping new families, in particular new moms. I, when I was a new mom, I had a really rough time. I did struggle with postpartum depression and it was, it was awful. And one of the things that I often felt was that nobody was seeing me, that I, I didn't exist anymore. So one of the things that really drives me in my work is making sure that new parents do feel seen and remembering that it's okay to feel how you're feeling no matter what it's okay 
And so that really drives a lot of my interactions with patrons. It what It's honestly what brings me to work every day. But I'm also a very ridiculous and whimsical person. So that kind of balances out. The, I, I do feel like we need to make the struggles of new parents and new moms in particular part of the conversation. And it's a very heavy topic and I'd like to normalize it. One of the ways I do normalize it is by being outrageous. And I think there's a great magic to childhood that I try to embrace now as a, as I call myself in my head, a grown up lady. I just think that <laughs> what we, we grown ups have a lot we can learn from children about imagination and um, sort of that blurry line between fiction and reality. So basically everything I do in my job here as a children's librarian is in that blurry line between fiction and reality, whether it's making the world of Harry Potter come to life, which I think every children's librarian does. But last week I was seriously considering how much money it would cost to rent an owl to deliver. (laughs) And I don't think it would be that expensive. It's like 35 kids. So I'm thinking like two hours of an owl can't be that expensive, but I really do like whimsy and magic because I think it makes things meaningful. I really do. So that's my passion in a nutshell. I don't know how to follow that. I was just going to say, Jen, you have a really hard thing. That's hard to follow right there. Yes, I know. (laughs) I mean, I guess my passion is making room for Laura to pursue her passion. Because um, too much. Stop it. I um, well, my first passion is naps, but that's not really something <laughs> that I pursue at work. That perhaps well, you mean, in the new building, you don't have a napping area. Well, no one knows about that, so please. <laughs> oh damn! I shouldn't have brought it up. Yeah, no. Um, I guess my passion is just is so like cliche, but learning. Like I, I am the kind of person that if if there's a topic that I'm interested in, I'm gonna go all in on that topic and really learn about it. So I guess the way that that plays out in the library is I tend to like if I get a really challenging reference question, sometimes I just cannot let that go. Um, I've been known to email or call people the next day to say, hey, I kept looking. Here's what I found. And people actually really appreciate that. So I don't think it's annoying. Um, it in that also in my role at the library, I, I mean I do that constantly. If there's a new trend or if I want to know, well, how can I do this thing better? I will just go out and track down everything I can on that topic and really just try to become as well educated as I can. And I do that about a lot of things in life, not just um, library stuff, but I think that in a sense, I am a nerd. And it's okay. Aren't we all, though? We're all nerds. Yes, I think we all are. We are. (laughs) We are. And, you know, I think there's a certain quality about being a librarian. Regardless of the type of librarian that you are, there is a certain nerddom to it. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it, like, in a really good way. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know any of my friends who aren't in library land would want to sit at a desk for four hours and answer questions. That's true. Being a nerd in adulthood is is really, it's like, uh, it's being your best self all the time. It's like embracing what you love and not feeling bad about it. Mm -hmm. And that's basically, I I do think that pretty much every library, not every librarian, I tend to hyperbolize, 
lots of the librarians you meet really do embrace that. I think it's like also just an outlet for creativity. Like how many times do you get asked, I can't get this to print, can you help me? <laughs> but it's like, it seems like every single time you have to do something a little bit creative to make it actually work. Like this particular PDF is just not working for me. So let me think, how can I do this? So it just allows for a level of creativity about printing that you never thought would ever happen. <laughs> you are the only person I know who makes printing creative. So we're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we are going to talk about all kinds of great stuff with regard to branding and libraries. So we'll take a short break, and we will be right back. Okay, we are back with Laura Lintz and Jen Barth from the Henrietta Library. So let's get into branding. It's so much more than just a buzzword or a catchphrase, right? Yes, uh, it's definitely a buzzword. And uh, I think a lot of people minimize it because of that. But you hear the word brand and you automatically think of a corporate. Um, and so you dismiss that this is a thing that could work in a library. You think of products and you think of brands. You might think of marketing. Um, but that's really a small part of what we mean when we talk about branding. Branding is really a promise. Um, it's a promise to yourself, but more importantly, it's a promise to your community that this is this is the thing that we are promising to do for you each and every time that you interact with us. And um, I always like to, when I'm thinking about branding, I refer back to um, a branding expert. Her name is Debbie Millman. Um, she's co-founder of the Masters in Branding program at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. And she also has a long and storied career in brand development. And she's also fascinating. She has a podcast called Design Matters that is amazing. She also is on the Tim Ferriss podcast and has like two of the most life-changing podcast episodes ever obviously aside from this episode of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> and she basically says um branding is being able to have a strong point of view in what you're capable of and a meaningful philosophy that you believe in and i personally think that for libraries this is easy we have a mission that drives us as we said we librarians are passionate about what we do and um you know as jen said people make the mistake that branding is a corporate premise but it's really not it's what do we provide that nobody else does and i think any library can figure that out relatively easily it's also it's it's a feeling that you you want people to experience when they they come to your library like how do you how do you want people to feel when they think about your library and once you've identified that feeling very specifically, well, what can we do to make sure that that's happening? And are there things that are keeping that from happening? And let's change those things. So that's really like the essence of it. 
Well, it makes a lot of sense because you want to kind of control the narrative, right? So when people come into your library, you want them to feel a certain way. So, And with you starting in a brand new building soon, you're going to be able to control that narrative from, from day one, from, from the first minute people walk in. So think about how exciting that is too because now you're going to be able to control that narrative. I mean, we've, we've been working on – we did our branding probably – a long time ago. So we, and as soon as we knew that we were going into a new building and a vault, like what we really said was like, if we have this brand and we live this brand, people will vote for this building because they know exactly what to expect from us. And so we've been honing that since the vote. So the day, you know, people, I think we've established pretty well in our community, this is what we do. And so it, there's not going to be any surprises when they walk into that new building mm-hmm. and it's just going to be a consistent thing. Um, and hope, hopefully it'll, it'll transition. And I think it will, cause it's not about the space. It's about the people in the space. Okay. So how does a library who's interested in rebranding or maybe even doing this for the first time begin the process? What's the, the, the process that you start with first, you know, I guess identifying that you need to rebrand, right? Yes, that's a good idea. Um, we were pretty lucky in Rochester. We have um, a local organization called Causewave Community Partners, and they work with nonprofits and community groups. And, you know, they help you find your voice and maximize your impact. And the Rochester Regional Library Council works with Causewave to provide grants for libraries who are interested in doing this kind of work. So we started there. But really, it is. It's just looking internal, identifying what your values are so you could even do this without calling it a brand you could do it by sitting down as as a staff and identifying your core values it's kind of the same thing like these are the things we value these are what we want people to know about us this is how we want to treat people but really it starts with having a conversation with everyone on your staff and it really is you know it sounds like these ideas are very abstract and very um i don't know highfalutin (laughs) ever but i just used it but honestly it's not because it is important that you get the um ownership of everyone on your staff and the ideas that we come up with are very tangible um just in the children's department and teen department we came up with some uh core values like what jen was just talking about i mean And one of them that I feel so strongly about is purpose, which sounds like, as I said before, highfalutin, but it really isn't because what I mean by purpose is that we are thoughtful and deliberate in our choices to best serve the community. One of the things you run up against as a librarian, I don't care where you work, is people (laughs) telling you that, um, oh, can you do this cool thing? This is a great idea. Can you run this program, this program? And before you know it, you're like juggling baby goats in the middle of a Lego (laughs) menagerie. And you can't do that. We, in my opinion, have to be purposeful. That's very important. And we've got to figure out what serves the community. And we do that through conversations with the community. So these are just really practical things that you can put on paper and then use it to guide every single decision that you make. And you, you also have to like figure out who, who are you targeting? What's your target audience? And you, and you can't just say, Henrietta. You have to be super specific. For us in our brand platform, our primary audience was seekers, so people who are looking for something. That, that is who we decided was our primary audience. 
Um, and so almost everything we do is geared toward that person who walks into the building or who calls or checks our website and is just trying to find something. It could be our hours or it could be how to build a bench for your garden, how to get an email address, but anybody who has a need that's, so we've identified that person. And then from there gone out and said, okay, well, we, how do we want that person to feel about the library? And that just kind of drives the conversations. But again, you have to have your entire staff involved in this conversation. It can't just be like the director and the assistant directors in a meeting coming out and then unrolling this thing. It doesn't work that way. Well, that makes a lot of sense because you want to have everybody on board and on the same page. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You don't want anybody going and rogue on you. <laughs> no, that, no, that's horrible. And you want, I mean, what is your driving goal? You want patrons to feel like they matter. And then... You also need to then treat the staff like they matter. You know, mm -hmm. I really do feel like what I do here as a children's librarian is valued. I haven't felt that everywhere I've worked. So that is, that's a feeling from the top down, you know, that everybody is invested in what we do and we all appreciate our efforts and feel like what we do matters. And the, the way that we, you know, the way that we included all of the staff was, when we had this branding workshop, was which was an entire day. It was a whole day workshop. Essentially, it was brainstorming for half a day, all these words to describe how we wanted to be perceived and how we wanted to treat people. And I mean, we had like two large a, like A-frames filled up with words. And then as, as a full staff again, we narrowed that down to five. So we were talking about branding, and it's so much more than just a logo. If you feel like, you know, do you feel like the logo should be the focal point of branding, or how does that fit in with your entire strategy? It definitely should not be a focal point. And the way that I see it is, like, I was going to make some car analogy, but I don't really like cars, and I hate to drive, but I do like cake. So I'm going to make a cake analogy instead. So basically, I think of a logo as like the decoration on the cake. I mean, you can have the prettiest cake in the world, but it doesn't matter if it doesn't taste good inside. So no, I do not think a logo matters. Yeah, I think if you deliver great customer service, when people see your logo, they'll think happy thoughts. But if you deliver horrible customer service and you have the world's greatest logo, your logo is not going to save you from those ill feelings that people will feel towards you because they weren't treated well the last time they were there. I love the cake analogy. <laughs> it never gets stale. <laughs> never gets stale. I, don't, I never come up with jokes and I'm like full of them today. Man, you're on fire. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like that I'm familiar with. It's the Simon Sinek Start With The Why podcast and if um, your listeners have not listened to it, just Google that, Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K, start with a Y. And he basically talks about, like, as a, a company, you can sell the most amazing product in the world. But if you don't have a strong sense of who you are and why you do what you do, when he compares, like, HP um, had some MP3 players, and they were honestly just as good as an app, the Apple iPod, but nobody uses an HP MP3 player anymore. I, we, I, I actually struggled to remember what an MP3 player was called because we're just so used to iPods. And in the end, 
they're the same thing, but there's one company we trust and that is Apple. And that's because they work from the inside out. And you guys have got to listen to this TED talk because I did not do it justice just now. And who is the, the speaker again? Because you, you blanked out oh. there for a sec. Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. Just Google it. Simon Sinek, why? And the why, again, gets to those like core values, your brand, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's essentially like naming the reason you do what you do if you don't know that yourself as an organization. So talking about that presentation you put together at NYLA, the New York Library Association Conference, we were looking at it and you know, we, you see that you spent some time putting it together and you really talked about touch points. Can you go into what a touch point is? Sure. Um, a touch point is basically any opportunity for your patron to interact with your library. And it could be anything from what happens at the circulation desk to how your parking lot is laid out, whether there's lights in the parking lot, if your outdoor trash can is overflowing always. Um, so what you do with the touch point analysis is at least the way we did it at our library. As a staff, we met, um, we meet monthly and we basically brainstormed all uh, touch points, like signing someone onto a library card, sending a fax, and we, we had quite a bit. So we looked at the full list and we had a team prioritize which ones are the most important. And those things usually ended up being things that were our staff interacting with a patron and also things that we had control over. We don't have a ton of control over the parking lot, but we do have control over the way we greet people when they walk in the door. So we prioritized all those items and um, we use sort of a rubric. Each month, we do one touch point at our monthly meeting where we talk about what part of our brand is this touch point involved with? Who's involved in this brand? Is it everybody on the staff? Is it one particular person? What patrons are involved? What is currently happening when our patron interacts with us in this situation? Um, how would we rate that on a scale of one to five? Five being super great and one being eh, not so hot. And then we make recommendations. Um, well, we create the ideal experience. What do we want to happen? And then we create recommendations. And then we take those recommendations and give it to a smaller team. And they figure out, well, how do we change the process to make it more ideal for the patron? And so for about two years, we did one a month and really looked at where our pain points were, analyzed them using this process, created new procedures, trained the staff, and just worked really hard to make all these processes better. So that's pretty much what a touch point is. And it sounds like a lot of work and it, it is a lot of work, but I also think when you're doing it right, it also feels in a lot of ways obvious and I won't say effortless, but every time it gets easier, you know, it, 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 it makes it easier to prioritize what you should be doing. And it makes it easier to say yes to things that you should be saying yes to. And um, one of the things that we have very little space in our current library, the parents were um, coming in for baby story time and they simply weren't having enough time here. You know, and a lot of times in, um, you know, previous years that when I was a newer librarian here, um, when I didn't have such a strong background in what Jen just outlined, I would have said, well, that's what we have. 
but we said, well, why can't we give them more time? It's sort of asking yourself that question, like what's the important thing, running on a schedule that I have somehow deemed is the schedule or help meeting people where they are and figuring out answers to what they need. So of course we double the length of that story time to give, and the back end is all free time, but it's time for grownups to hang out with each other while their babies play. And then it's even little things like when somebody needs to get on the internet and they don't have a library card, they would go to the circulation desk and ask if they could use a computer. And then they would send them over to the reference desk where we would then log them on. And we're like, why are we bouncing people around like this? You want the first person that you ask to have the answer to the question. And so that's really how we approach most things. Like, well, we can train people to do this. Let's do that. So if somebody asks how to scan, they ask at the checkout desk, that person can do that for them. So that's kind of how we have been working with the touch points. Well, it makes a lot of sense, too, because you don't want to have a librarian, you know, or not librarian, or a patron come in and go to circulation. Oh, we have to go to reference for that. And reference says, oh, you have to go to the technology desk for that. And they say, oh, you wanted to register? You have to go to the welcome desk for that. You know, everybody should be able to do everything and make the patron's experience more about experiencing the building and experiencing what they're there to do instead of playing hopscotch from department to department. You know, you don't want to have uh, departments that are, kind of their own independent silos. And, and this makes a lot of, of sense, having these touch points like that. Well, also one of our brand personalities is knowledgeable. Brand personalities is compassionate. So we try to empower our staff to make decisions on things like fines and fees so that they can be compassionate You know, when the situation calls for it. Um, and it, so it takes a lot of training, but I mean, if you're going to have a brand, you have to live it. And the only way you do that is by training the people that work with you. So tell us about the strategies that can be utilized in connection with branding. So, you know, how does it fit in with newsletters and advertising and generally getting the word out there? Because libraries are really, really good at reaching the people who actually set foot in the building one thing that libraries do is they kind of close their eyes, they open the mail bin and they throw the newsletters in there. And, and that's the only contact they have with the outside world who doesn't come to the library. So tell us about what those strategies are with regard to getting the word out there. So basically the way that um, we see it here is that, and Jen interrupt me when I speak about something egregiously incorrect, but this once again goes back to your core values. I mean, you've got to think about who is my audience? How am I trying to reach them? And um, I see this in a couple of ways. I think that yes, libraries are pretty good at reaching the people inside the doors. Do we want to reach people who don't come to the library? I mean, I think you got to think about what your goal is. I mean, I learned a lot when we went out for a vote uh, for our new library recently, you know, and this is something that you can also learn by watching the West Wing, I'm sure. But like, you, you, um, do you care about the yes vote, the people who are going to vote for you no matter what? No. You care about the no vote for the people who are going to vote? No, we don't support you no matter what? No. You can't change their minds. What you can change the mind of are those people in the middle. So am I going to kill myself to reach out to those people who are never going to be interested in the library program for whatever reason in their own lives? No, I'm not. Am I going to try to get those maybes? Absolutely. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to see what's important in my community, whether it's a parenting group. Honestly, one that I noticed in my children's people, well, how 
how did you even find out about this? And it's always some dog. And um, so obviously getting those maybes, those people who are looking for somewhere to go, they might not be thinking of the library, but if you say library, they're like, yeah, I'll try it. So you've got to figure out your why. Don't just think that what you're going to put out to an audience is somehow going to stick. You always have to go back to your why. You always have to go back to your core values. And then, then you figure out the how. One, one of the strategies here is um, we have a communication meets. We used to meet every week, but now we're down to one. Um, so this is, I believe there are five people on the team and it's ability to talk about what, what is important. The best idea or is an Instagram post the best idea? Those are, those are two different groups of people. And we, we have newsletters, so we are very specific about the things we put in the newsletters and like, what are people going to learn from this? And let's lead with that. Um, so we have the communications team as one strategy. A couple of other strategies that you can use um, are hiring. The best way to implement your your brand is to hire people who are aligned with your brand. If you interview people and you one of your um is compassionate and you get a response to a question that you don't feel is compassionate, well then, hey, maybe that's not the right fit for your organization. But you, as you're hiring, you should be thinking about these things. What are we looking for? Um, is there something that a person leaves? Is there something we've been promising that we haven't been delivering? Should we change this job description and try to find something a little bit different? Where can we post this to find the people that we're looking for? Um, so hiring is super important. The other thing is those touch points. Another thing is looking at your policies. Um, are your policies not aligned with your brand? You really need to, once you've established that, take a look at all of the things that you're doing and really think about, are we doing what we say we're going to do? Personally, I think hiring is probably the most important thing, hiring and training. You can't, you know, uh, one of the big messages that I learned from our director, who is wonderful and so supportive of everything you do, she said to me, because one of my things is that I have an offbeat sense of humor. And um, a lot of times I say, gosh, am I just being too weird? So if you're not a little nervous before you post something, you're being boring and you can never be boring. You, we don't we don't have the luxury to be boring as libraries. We need to make our case. We need to surprise people. What Jen just said about hiring, in my opinion, is surprising. You know, we may not always hire the person who's most qualified on paper, but if they're living our brand, then that's what we're that's what we're gonna do. We we also have like guidelines for social media, which allow us to give many people on our staff access to our Facebook and our Instagram account. We don't limit that to one person. We don't limit it to, you know, the communications librarian or the teen librarian. Um, we have, this is what our guidelines are for social media. And if people are interested in participating, great. If you have a page who's super good at taking apps, give them your Instagram password, let them do it. If those 
photos are so on brand, you want them involved in your social media. So if you create guidelines, it allows you to bring more voices into your social media. And I think that that is a way to hit some people who might not normally think of the library. If they mm -hmm. keep seeing the same tone over and over and over again in your social media, and then something new appears for you, that might catch their attention. So it's always a good thing. And, and again, you're talking about the different ways to, to reach out beyond that newsletter. And it, there's there's a lot of ways that libraries can do it and really in a, you know in an efficient manner. And one thing I was actually – I started listening to this other podcast, and I'm actually going to have the, the, the host of the podcast on our show soon. There's a library podcast called Library Figures. And uh, the last episode that he did, it was published I think on March 26th, was um, talking about free AdWords. And I think that was also the episode where the guest used to work at iHeartRadio. And, uh. and now she works for, I think it's the Anchorage Library System. And if I'm incorrect about that, it's somewhere in Alaska. So I'm trying not to be you know, an idiot about not knowing too much about Alaska. But um, she was talking about, the, about if you are going to start targeting with, with radio ads, you know, what the strategy is. And, you know, it, sometimes it makes sense to have a 15 second or a 10 second live read as opposed to, you know, and have more of them versus, you know, three or four one minute long reads for, for an advertisement because it's about the exposure. It's not about, you know, the length and the, and the amount of information that you give out. It's just that you keep getting your name out there. Um, Absolutely. Some things might only take 15 seconds. They might, you might not need a, you know, a full thing. Um, one thing that we do here, um, it's called, it's, we call it the pop-up library, where essentially we just take the library out into the community. And this is going to sound ridiculous, but we actually have a dinosaur mascot at our library. His name is T.R. Henri. And you've probably seen, it's one of those Tyrannosaurus Rex yeah. blow-up costumes that you see all over Facebook. Sure. Um, but that guy, he's requested from oh, yeah. people in the community to come out to the thing and you bring the dinosaur. Um, and so that's another way we went to this, um, a kid's hair salon. They called us and asked us to bring the library cause we give away free books, but we also have this crazy ridiculous dinosaur. So here we are sitting in a hair salon in Henrietta with a big inflatable dinosaur, but we're seeing people that we would not normally see. These are people and think about the library and they walked in to get their hair cut. And now they're walking out with a book and an experience with a ridiculous dinosaur. Well, that's that's funny because now it's you've used something and it is branding in a way, right? It, it, it's sticking in oh, their head oh. now. Where it's now, oh, that's the library. The library has that dinosaur. Yeah, I can't. I saw the dinosaur, so now I'm coming to the library. It's oh yeah, it's very purposeful because one of our brand personalities is playful, and that is exactly where what that dinosaur came from. Is just our staffs insistent need to be um ridiculous and to play so it he is like the dinosaurification because you can't say personification he of of our of our brand <laughs> reptilification <laughs> yes okay you guys are using yes. way too many big words way too many big words <laughs> for me so and and, I'm, and I'm confident that they're all real words too of course of they course. <laughs> Wow, even the internet didn't agree. They cut you out. We didn't say anything, so it's okay. Oh, yeah. okay, good, 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 good. I didn't know if you were going to throw any more big words at me. No, no. <laughs> Dinosaurification, I love it. 
So tell me about the the whole idea of, you know, I, I know we've been talking about getting the word out to the public. Um, what about print ads? Is print ads are print ads pretty much dead? I mean, I know radio spots. I mean, you could even make the argument that maybe over the air radio spots may not be as effective as maybe the the, the streaming ads. So when you're listening, um, you know, you hear a different ad than somebody who's listening to broadcast or maybe even a podcast. Honestly, I think we rely a ton on word of mouth um, and just trying to create good experiences that people then talk about. I mean, we when we have our communications team meetings, we we talk about like what are the best ways to get to the people we're looking for. And honestly, print is not a thing that really comes up that often. Well, it it sort of comes back to something we talked about today in a communications meeting was basically if we're spending money on this, that means there's a lot of other things we're not going to be spending money on. So me, no, I would not spend money on a print ad. I would not spend money on a radio spot. What I would spend money on is buying, oh, I don't know, maybe an instant pot or an air fryer to add to the collection. Hang with me. You lend that out. That is a conversation piece right there. Can you believe I got this instant pot from my public library? Yeah, and they take it back. How do you think they wash that? Oh, my God. I want to go and see what they've got. I'm sorry. That's what I would do every day of the week. I would do, then I would do a video on Instagram. This is all free. And it would be our dinosaur using the instant pot to make, I don't know, some kind of crustacean stew. I don't know. Or (laughs) plant-based to not scare the children. But I think you see what I'm going for there. You know, I think that the money, I, I don't know if the money's worth it for what you're going for. I would spend it in different ways. Well, it's also interesting to bring up, too, that, you know, you said Instagram. Social media is free. And how yeah. many people now, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to get off Facebook, um, but <laughs> it, it keeps dragging me back in. I know. Um, but, you know, it's, it, whether it's, I don't know if you guys have the patch newspaper up there that's kind of like it goes through Facebook. It's like really, really lo- super local news. I don't, I don't know. think so. Yeah, we have patches here. They call it the patch. And, and it basically covers... There was an accident on Portion Road today, and the car caught on fire. And, or oh, you know, no. this happened in Ronkonkoma, or this happened down in Sayville. Um, and it's they, I, I guess they have a website too, but they primarily post on Facebook, so you get like the updates of what's going on in the local area. So, just the whole idea of posting on social media it just opens people's eyes. Like we had a, we just started doing uh, cricket classes, and for those of you who don't know what cricket is, no, we're not putting little crickets in a, in a basket and 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 trying to kill them or feeding them to lizards or anything. Um, although Henrietta may want to feed it to the dinosaur. I know. I was just that that did trigger something with me. <laughs> so a cricket is a vinyl cutter. So if you ever see the minivans with the stick figure families on them, that's something that's probably what? made by a cricket. It's it's I it, had no idea. I always thought I was like, where do they buy those very specialized stickers? Well if you come to the Sachin Public Library we can make them for you. Oh. Cow. Well, you can design them on your own, bring in your own material, and use our crickets to cut them absolutely for free. That is awesome. So there's a plug for Sageman, and this is where Bob would be rolling his eyes and throwing things at me. But anyway, um, we did a, our first program, and it's a cricket club. And the instructor is um, somebody who's a, she was at the time she was a, a furloughed government worker, and she came in and she taught a class on how to make a greeting card with a 3D flower. 
just by using their software and importing the vinyl, which was a little sparkly and everything, um, into the cutter. And it works pretty much like an inkjet, cut, inkjet printer works where, you know, the head moves back and forth. But instead of it spraying ink, it actually has a, like a razor blade and it cuts in the pattern that you designed. And then when it's done, depending on the type of vinyl or, or thing that you're using, if it's a sticky thing, then you put contact paper on top and you rub it and it pulls it off the backing and then it's sticky. And then you go to, let's say, the back of your car. You clean the window and you, you, you rub this stuff on and you pull the backing paper off and now you have your stick figure family on the back of your car. But we can also cut, um, God, there's different types of vinyl, there's iron-ons, there's all this crazy stuff you can do. So where, am I, where is Chris going with this? Everybody's yelling, shut up, Chris. So <laughs> the point is, the, the idea is, um, so this was happening in our makerspace and uh, I took three or four pictures and posted them on my own Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook accounts, tagging the library. So I'm thinking, I'm going to help out the social media librarian. Well, it got some crazy numbers, because one person saw their grandmother in the class, in the pictures. And uh. and then they told their friends, look what my grandma's doing at the library. And then it just caught on. The Instagram hits exactly. were crazy. Guess what? People are coming in now asking if there's going to be another cricket class soon. So that's how social media works. You know, you, you have no idea why something's going to work, but it's free. So you might as well just keep trying. Sometimes, you know, you get a ton of likes and shares, which is huge. And sometimes it's like not to <laughs> be a little too punny, but sometimes it's like crickets. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my. I'm never like this. Have ever. we created a monster? Yes. So now, now we know who wears a dinosaur costume. It's no, it's never me. I can't. I'm like she's too short. I'm painfully shy. I can't. I can't. No, really? Wow. I know, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow! But yeah, social media is a real. It's it's the most inexpensive way of doing it, right? Oh, absolutely. Totally. And that's why it's important to have multiple people doing it because. Like, like Laura said, you don't know what's going to hit. So the more people you have doing their thing on there, the better your chances are of hitting. Exactly. Having a single person, maybe you can have somebody in charge of it but ha you yeah. know, and be the, the person you funnel through. But there's nothing wrong with using your own account and just tagging the library. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And that's, and that, and that's what makes it fun and interactive for the employees, too. Yeah. Okay. So. Thank you so much for sharing all that information about branding and marketing because some libraries just don't get it. And hopefully um, if they listen, if anybody who's looking to figure this out um, is looking for a starting point, I think this we've given people a lot of food for thought. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And anytime. Anytime. <laughs> as long as we can keep our connection together, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we are going to be asking Laura and Jen our top 10 library questions of what we like to call the 032 list, which is a doing number for top 10 lists. And as we always do, we give credit to our friend Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library for naming the list. But, yeah, she came up with the name for the list, and it's the list we ask all of our guests. So we will be back in just a moment. Okay, we are back with Laura Lintz and Jen Barth, and they are about to be our next victims in the 032 list. 
The questions from this list are inspired by Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. And you can see their work by visiting their website, lithub.com. Check them out because they do uh, a great job of educating and informing the library world on great topics from all over. So thank you, Literary Hub, for the inspiration. So remember, we're not going to hold you to these uh, answers because it's just a fun list we like to ask everybody. So you ready? Yes. Okay. Let's see if our internet holds up. <laughs> First question, what did you want to be when you were children? I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a cashier in our local grocery store Wegmans. I always was itching to press those buttons. <laughs> Heck, I want to work at Wegmans. Yeah, it's a good place. It's pretty cool. We don't get them down here on the island. Oh, I'm sorry for you. Okay, so what was your first memory of a library, and who brought you to the library for the first time? My first library memory is of um, a central library. It was called Rundell Library at the time, and um, my mom would take me to the second floor, the children's room, and there were these tall windows that were like, I don't know, 20,000 feet tall, and they would look out to the river in downtown Rochester and you just watch these waterfalls and plus there was a secret room in the children's room and there was this bookcase that if you touched it the right way it would swing open and inside was a secret room full of creepy dolls and that is my story and my mom would take me always so my I did not um experience the library as a child with my parents not that my parents you know, did that on purpose. Um, I went when I was in high school to study with uh, my friends. So we were those teenagers in the library who probably were irritating. So that, yeah, that's my first experience with the library. Okay. So when did you decide to work in a library? And if not, if it wasn't your first career path, because many librarians have chose librarian um, careers as a second career, what what was your first career path? Um, I... And so I feel like I was born to do this job, but I didn't decide I wanted to be a librarian until my mid 20s. We lost you again. My writing and education degrees. We lost um, you after you said your mid 20s. Ah, yes. Okay. Picture it. My mid 20s. Sometime <laughs> in the early 2000s. <laughs> I decided I want to become a librarian, which is, of course, like everybody said, duh, of course you do. But I didn't realize that's what I wanted to be. Before that, I'd worked in nonprofit. Um, I worked uh, at several small nonprofits in the Boston area um, as a doing education-based stuff. For a time, I was a grant writer. I've always been really passionate about um, helping others and social change. Um, so... From there, it just led me to public libraries, and I really do feel like I was born to do this. I um, decided to work in a library also in my mid-20s. I was on the path to become a high school English teacher and just kind of ended up working at, I don't know if anybody remembers, the ERIC database. Oh, you said ERIC. I got a sense of um, the library world. It was actually in the information studies program at Syracuse, so I worked for everyone I worked for was a librarian. And then I, like I said before, like I love just digging into a topic. So this like suited me perfectly. And then I was like, oh, well, I could just be a librarian. And 
here I am. And you, like, seriously, uh, Jen would never say this about herself, but she is the single best librarian I've ever come into contact with. And I'm not just saying that because you're my boss. I'm just <laughs> saying that. <laughs> thank you, Laura. I don't think it's true, but thank oh, you. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You guys are just, you, you guys are hysterical. You're killing me over here. <laughs> Okay, this is one of our favorite questions. Who's your favorite fictional librarian? I love Giles. I'm not sure that he is the best high school librarian. He's more of an archivist, but I still adore him and all of the demons that he fought. <laughs> well, I don't adore the demons. Yeah, that was a weird... I adore Giles. Yes. Yes. And personally, I really loved in Parks and Rec, Megan Mullally as the evil librarian, Tammy. She was just, I'm sorry. I don't think there's any better representation of a librarian ever. She's perfect and she makes me laugh. Okay, so what would you be doing if you were not working in a library? If I was not working in a library, I would be a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter for the New York Times. And could you be like, Jennifer Bach here, cub reporter. <laughs> yes. Wow. In real life, um, I might uh, be working still in non-higher ed, doing something kind of boring. But in my fantasy world, I would be a children's book author. I would be writing mostly middle grade readers, but I would also try my hat. Uh, Sam and Dave dig a whole ilk, you know, like something witty, delightful that grown-ups love just as much as children, and in many cases, more than children do. What's your favorite section of the library? Now, originally, we intended this on meaning, you know, fiction, nonfiction, you know, history, but with everything happening in libraries, it could be anything. Oh, that is so hard. Um, you know, it's interesting. I would say my favorite place in the library. I'm one of the strong believers in library as place and that it's a community gathering space. And it's here in our community room because I'm looking at this vintage disco ball that we have here that is just the most marvelous thing I've ever seen. And I think it's a really good microcosm for the library, this particular library, because it is enchanting and strange but very very genuine and you can't help but love it and also this community room attracts all sorts of people who find all sorts of happiness here the end again i have to follow this um i think my favorite section of the library is the reference desk because oh, i really yeah. i love helping people especially like when we find the perfect book for them mm -hmm. that is probably the best thing about working in a library Wow, we've never had reference desk as uh, really a, never had reference yeah, desk as a favorite really? section. I'm impressed actually because that takes that takes a certain kind of person to actually say reference desk. That um, I think it's what we do, right? Yeah, it's true. Well, we just we just read this um, short story that one of our coworkers sent to us, um, and it was all about I can't remember what it was called. Oh, I've got it right here. Okay. Here it is. It's a witch's guide to escape a practical compendium of portal fantasies by Alex E. Harrow. And it was an apex mag. And it was about, you know, just matching 
the reader to the book and giving, and it was about a teenager who was looking for an outlet and an, an, an escape. And it was just like such a great overview of what it means to be a librarian. Uh, yeah. It was honestly, I have not delighted in something written in, in like that. And I read all the time. This was just the best short story. Highly recommend it. Definitely Google it. Yeah, definitely. What a reference librarian. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Okay, so if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to your library? I mean, you just got, you're getting a new building, so I mean, it's kind of like a silly question at this point, right? Um, it's never a silly question. I would add a social worker, an ESL teacher, more books. Besides the roller coaster treehouse? Yes, besides the roller coaster treehouse. I think a social worker is probably the most needed thing in a public library. Um, more compassion. Like I would, and by that translates to more staff who can, I mean, as a library, what you do is you give, give, give. That's why we're here. We're here because anybody can come here and get what they need. So we just need more, more yeah. compassion in the form of more staff and also a roller coaster tree house. <laughs> what is a roller coaster tree house? I just made it up. I don't know. Oh, I thought it was like something out of like one of the Magic Treehouse books or something. I yeah, thought I was no. missing something because I, I don't mean, work in children's. Those are great books, you know, for, you know, hey, the Babysitter's Club made me into a librarian. I loved those books. So I support books like the Magic Treehouse, but I was talking about a treehouse with a freaking roller coaster attached to it. Oh, man, there's so much passion behind what you just said. There's no, I could never even describe, like if Bob said to me, so how did it go? There are no words. Because the shy one doesn't shut up. So I'm afraid to ask the next question now. I'm afraid. Um, what do you love about your library? I love about my library, my coworkers, who are amazing and, um, super creative and a lot of fun and willing to do anything that is asked of them. Um, yeah, they're my favorite part for sure. This is so hard. I mean, I do agree. I, what I love about this particular library is that there's like, you know, you guys, why are you, you guys do this, this crazy, weird stuff? Why are you so weird? Why, like, what, it, where do you even get these ideas? And I do think it's just because there's a feeling of safety here that you can really be who you are. And I think that's what I love is, as I just told you, I am, you could probably even tell my husband, you're like, your wife is the weirdest lady ever. And he'd be like, no, she's not. Uh, no, but there's something about this place that really makes you, I think it makes you be your best self. And I think it's a special place that I think the, the patrons feel it too. I know they do actually. Okay. So I, I ask these questions on, on every podcast with every guest and I know what the, I know what the questions are, but I look at them knowing how you guys are answering these questions and I'm almost <laughs> scared to answer this, ask this, this next question. I got a good one for this. Good, because I don't. Oh, God. So, somebody needs to be tied to a chair, I think. 
What's the weirdest thing? And remember, we don't have explicit rating on iTunes. And we're not talking about the worst thing. Well, it can be the worst thing if it's the weirdest thing. But what is the weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library? Because I know we've all sat around, you know, and tell, told stories. So here you go. Have at it. So here's one that happened recently that was pretty weird, but also <laughs> super awesome and just so typical of this place. On a Saturday, the urinal started um, acting up. Wasn't working quite so well, so we had to call the facilities guy to come on in. And after a while, he came out of the men's bathroom <laughs> and let our reference librarian know that the problem was a potato head ear that was stuck in the urinal. Now, the reason this is funny is because <laughs> Laura, last summer, decided that we needed, what do you want to call it? Like... I think I initially proposed it as a wading pool full of Mr. Potato Heads, and that's what it is. It's basically uh, like a sandbox full of potato heads. This is not the first time I found potato head items in the urinal. And it, it, it's just fitting that it's a urinal. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, like, why? I mean, and when I proposed this swimming pool full of potato heads, a lot of people had a lot of concerns like, Choking. Yes, it's, it's definitely a choking hazard. It's true, it is a choking hazard. But guess what? Like, almost everything we have here is a choking hazard. No, uh, no one was concerned about the urinal, though. Nobody mentioned yet, the urinal. And yet here we are. That's I kind of, the, it's the wrong end, right? If you're worried about a choking well, hazard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was weird too. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. Okay, so, so you both going with that story is the weirdest story? Yeah, that was that was a pretty like weirdly typical. If that makes yeah, sense. it weirdly typical. Yes. Yeah. If there's anything that would surprise us at this point no no because we i mean what librarian doesn't have like their favorite patron story about like you know the time i got a phone call and somebody wanted to demo his best man speech to me it was very good and i mean like that stuff happens maybe that's yeah. the joy of being a librarian but a potato head ear in the urinal it's very specific that's gold <laughs> there's a joke about him listening for something but you know it's that's another whole story <laughs> okay, so who's your favorite regular patron? Well, it's hard to pick just one. My favorite is a little girl named Lila who has super curly blonde hair and glasses and who knows most of us by Miss whatever our first name is and is just a pure delight. She's probably one of my favorites. Yep, she's been coming to the library since she was like bald yeah. and now she just has the glistening golden rapunzel yes. locks and um she might be dressed in a space suit perhaps a dinosaur outfit but yeah she's just she is delightful and what makes her so delightful is that i always think about this like as a children's librarian of course my job is to enhance early literacy and help families have the tools that they need to get their kids ready to read. But just as much of my job is to create those 
memories when a kid looks back or when a when a parent or wow that was a place where I really felt supported happy that's what's going to bring people back who's your favorite I don't know cool uh, I don't know I mean I guess if you were to say who's my favorite in baby story time is especially there's one who has a compulsion to always sit on my lap when she's just had a blowout on her <laughs> diaper <laughs> I won't say her name but she knows who she is um I I'll bring it back a little bit um as I said before one of my callings if we are if we have callings when it's so one of the most meaningful interactions I've had as a librarian is, you know, with the moms who are bringing in, they always say, how's the baby, blah, blah, blah. I never ask how the baby's sleeping. We don't ask that question. And then I say, but how are you? And I just remember one time in particular, a mother just like legitimately broke down. And that was me. That was how I felt all the time. And you could, somebody hadn't asked her that today or maybe in a really long time. And I just said, that's okay. That was me too. But that we talked and she just was, it was the first time she felt okay in a long time. This is about me. I try very hard not to make it about me, but as like giving patrons what they need in that moment. And hopefully that was a helpful moment for her. Okay. So our final question. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, she's, she's revving up already. <laughs> Oh, boy. What are people without library cards missing out on? Wow. Let me tell you about this collection I've been building. <laughs> Go ahead. It's called, the, it's called the Discover It Yourself Collection, and we've had it for, oh, gosh, over a year now. And this is something I legitimately, including the name, stole from my old coworker, Sophia. I will call her, thank you, librarian Sophia. I really appreciate your idea and stealing it um, but basically it's a really big collection of try before you buy and as a librarian i feel really strongly about giving people access to things so whether it's um we have like a rock classification kit some legitimate vr headsets we have god what don't we have in there a maple sugaring kit spiro robots and as i said before i just bought an instant pot an air fryer and ice cream makers Settlers of Catan. Did I say that right? I'm, I'm not nerdy in that way. Um, oh my gosh. Oh, and my most exciting thing is I built a lemonade stand kit. So it's like a banner, a table, a pitcher, cups, signage, a cash register, everything you would need to have a lemonade stand in your front yard without making your parents build you one. That is what you're missing out on without a library card. Do you do the permits yeah. too? I take care of all the permits. I, <laughs> I, outsource, that. I outsource that to my dinosaur. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I got to follow that again. Oh, God. God. You're getting you're killed, Jen. Me. You're getting absolutely killed. I know. It's my life. Um, That's not true. It's just the connection that you can make with people. I For us, thinking, you know, we're having this new library bill. And one of the things they kept asking us was how many self-checkout machines do you want? And our director was like, no, we don't want any. And we had to keep, you know, we're not interested in self-checkout machines. 
our goal is to connect with the people in our community. And so this is a place where you can come and actually talk to a person or not. I concur. Oh, she concurs. <laughs> We've got the Laura seal of approval. I know. <laughs> That's all I need in life. Wow. With that the much, uh, do you, do you, Laura, do you just go home and plug yourself in at night? Actually, kind of, yeah. You know what's weird, and you would never know it by listening to this podcast, is that Laura and I are exactly the same person. <laughs> we are. It's it's uncanny. But yet, it's like, I don't even know. It's the yin and yang. Yeah, it's, it's bonkers. Yep. Yeah. Bonkers. But come 9 o'clock, I would say I'm very, very tired, yes. <laughs> I was going to say, you're in bed by 9.10, right? Okay, we made it through. We survived. Yay! Yay! You, wow, you even say yay at the same time. Wow, that is kind of weird. Right? Well, thank you so much for coming on and being a good sport about our silly list of questions, which this is the first time I ever said, oh, no, i got to ask another one of these. Because you guys are so awesomely over the top. It's hysterical. Well, thank you for having yeah. us. Well, thank you so much. That's all the time we have for this edition, which has tired me out. I want to go to sleep now because you guys, it's <laughs> so much energy. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about our show, visit our contact us section on our website, thelibrarypros.com. We'll also have links and photos from this episode on the site. And visit us on Twitter at The Library Pros or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. And don't forget to give me one second. It's a little loud. So don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also, um, tell your friends, because that's where people learn about us. And remember that the comments and opinions of, of Chris and Bob, if you were here, would be those, uh, their own and not those of the Sachin Public Library or the M.S. Clark Memorial Library. So we'll see you next time. brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the library pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch. <laughs>